it's early 1800s. If you're in an abusive relationship, there's really not much that you can do. And it's sort of something that's kind of indelicate to even talk about. Okay, that was not an uplifting beginning. That's a tough one to follow. But we are going to talk today, Jacqueline, about a domestic abuse situation that happened within Thomas Jefferson's family. Right, and one that seemed to affect him and those around him. Welcome again to In the Course of Human Events. I'm Tom Vandervoort. And I'm Jacqueline Langholz. And we're here to tell you some stories, some human interest stories, really, about the people that lived at Monticello or certainly were part of Thomas Jefferson's family. And in this story, Katie Garrett's going to tell us about one of Jefferson's granddaughters. And Carrie. She's the oldest daughter of his oldest daughter, Martha Jefferson Randolph. Yeah, and her portrait is um, in the south square of the house, right Ah. under a portrait of Martha Jefferson Randolph, her mother. So you can look at her every day. There you go. Well, now you're going to find out a little more about what happened to her. A little bit more about her, yeah. Thomas Jefferson's daughter, Martha Jefferson Randolph, she married pretty young. Uh, She was about 18 years old. Anne Carey was her first daughter. She had about 10 months after getting married. It's Jefferson's first grandchild. They actually ask Jefferson to name her, but the letters get lost on the way to where Jefferson is. So she's not actually named or um, given a baptism until like three months later. I love that. <laughs> That's inconceivable to me. I mean, I, I know that I came home uh, without a name, but that was quickly resolved. Why didn't you have a name? That's a longer story, Tom, but um, my mom dreamed my name, and then they had to decide if in real life they wanted to go with it. But they went And they with went it. with they it. They went with it, yeah. That's a good name. It's <laughs> a good you. name, Jacqueline. Thank you, Jacqueline Camille. The whole thing was in the dream. Oh, yeah. I Three get it. months. They had to have a pet name. Little girl, baby, sweetie. Gosh. There's some great letters where Martha's talking about her education as she's growing up. This is actually probably one of those letters that Martha Jefferson Randolph wouldn't appreciate people quoting all the time, but guides quote it a lot. She's worried about the education for her children. She says they increase in age without making those acquirements which other children do. My two eldest are uncommonly backward in everything, much more so than many others who have had half the pains taken with them. Anne does not want memory, but she does not improve. She appears to me to learn absolutely without profit. (laughs) And so then Jefferson gets involved, says, I think that Anne is apt, intelligent, good-humored, and of soft and affectionate dispositions, and that she will make a pleasant, amiable, and respectable woman. How old was Anne at this point when they were? She's about 10. So she was getting some judgments uh, at 10. (laughs) And that's, I think, something of growing up in Thomas Jefferson's household. A little bit of pressure. There's a lot of pressure to be a good student and to be very well-educated. I think we just got a glimpse of Anne Carey's report card. Yeah, it wasn't very good, I guess, at first, right? It seemed mixed, but I like that Jefferson had positive things to say about her character. And just in case you thought that, you know, kids today were the only ones who felt a lot of pressure, obviously right. there were expectations heaped upon you if you came from a certain certain social so, social class, at least if you were in Thomas Jefferson's uh, house, as, as Katie said. Absolutely, there were. There's a letter that we have that Jefferson wrote to uh, his daughter, Martha Jefferson Randolph, as she later becomes known, my dear Patsy, and he has a schedule for her written out, and it's just, it's jam-packed. There's no break in it, but it's, you know, straight jam-packed from 9 a.m., I think, until bedtime of what she needs to be practicing in music and in language and in letter writing and in reading. This so, is the helicopter parent thing. Helicopter parent. He takes a lot of interest in the education of his daughters. And you have to remember it's his two daughters who are growing up in Monticello under his, you know, watch and tutelage, not sons. So yeah, he is very involved. 
she marries a man named Charles Lewis Bankhead. His father is Dr. John Bankhead, who's a friend of Jefferson's. That's probably how they met. We don't have any letters about their courtship or anything like that. Charles is 20 when they get married. Anne is 17. But it's very early on that there start to be concerns about Charles Bankhead and his drinking. Okay, so we know from the beginning that we had abuse, and so we know now that we have what sounds like alcoholism. A problem brewing. Ugh, I'm already sad about it. So young. Oh, this is going to be a tough story. You know, I want to share a, a quote with you that is a Jefferson quote about marriage. Um, he, he writes at one point, talking about his daughters, the chance that in marriage she will draw a blockhead, I calculate at about 14 to 1. Which is, you know, long odds, but still... He, I guess he, he knows there are bad, bad guys out there. Bad, bad, bad yeah, apples bad, out there. Bad, bad apples, better way to say it, yeah. Yeah. Initially, when they get married, he's studying law, but he never passes law school. Uh, so then he ends up trying to get set up as a farmer, but that also he doesn't seem to do very well. There's a letter where they actually say that Anne wants them to move away from Charlottesville because Charlottesville is where there's the taverns and the pubs and that she wants to be a little further out in Bedford County where there's less likelihood that he's going to go out on a, on a binge. Oh, this is just getting worse. It's early 1800s. If you're in an abusive relationship, there's really not much that you can do. And it's sort of something that's kind of indelicate to even talk about. So where we're getting these letters about it is sort of in subtle hints within letters of family members and particularly female family members. There's drinking, but you're saying now there's physical abuse as well. Yes. And actually, Thomas Jefferson's the first person he mentions this because what happens a lot is that Charles Bankhead and Anne will come visit Monticello. And there are two separate letters and there's many more incidents of this where Jefferson finally has to sort of suck it up and write to Charles's father and say that Every time, every night, he was on a binge. Um, he was hardly sober. Jefferson says he was nearing insanity. And in one letter, he says that he aggressively attacked Anne. And that she actually had to spend the night in her mother's room to be safe from him. And that this was not new. Oh, that's heartbreaking. She spent the night in her mother's bedroom to be safe from her husband. That really makes me sad to hear. Um, you can see she's trying to do something to address or, I don't know, improve the situation, but they're just getting further isolated. Well, and it's interesting, too, because clearly she's not thinking, oh, this was a mistake. I guess I should try to get out of this right. marriage. That's not those. That's not an option that's on the table. Right. Options seem to be so different and so limited. And here, you know, I'm thinking, who's your support network? And, and so much of her family is right there that she could go to. Right. And, oh, and... It's not, yeah. And, of course, Bedford County was where Poplar Forest was, right? That's right. So That's right. maybe they were thinking they would move near Poplar Forest and Jefferson and family would be out there from time to time. Right. I wonder if she's still hiding it from the family or if the family knows at this point. Maybe Katie will talk a little bit She's going to. She's going to. You just wait. So we have a husband who drinks, has a lot of power over his wife, physically abuses her. Thomas Jefferson knows about it and notices it. What happens to his granddaughter in this situation? Martha Jefferson Randolph, Jefferson's daughter, says that Anne's has been a hard fate, but in case of the worst that could happen, her children are, herself can never want a home of their own. So if something happens and if Bankhead dies, but that's what she's still considering, the worst that could happen is Bankhead dying because this is her sort of lifeline, her husband. She can move back to Monticello, but there's really not much recourse that they have for getting Charles out of the picture. Oh my gosh. 
Yeah, so this is about as bad as it gets here. Yeah, I'm sort of I'm sort of at a loss for words about that. But you know, alcoholism is something that it pops up a, a few times in some of the founding families. I, I remember. did not know that. Yeah, it's in uh, the Adams's family. Uh, one son, of course, becomes president, John Quincy Adams, and has a very successful career. But another son dies, I believe, from alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Heartbreaking story. Um, and then it's also in the Madison family, I believe. Uh, not to this extent, and in neither case, as I understand it, with abuse uh, as well. But this is really, this is a tough one. All of this is sort of like hush networks. They're trying to keep it within the family. They don't want people to know exactly how much of a drunk Charles Bankhead is. It comes into the public eye in 1819. Anne's younger brother, Thomas Jefferson Randolph, they call him Jeff, was in Charlottesville. And depending on who you ask, either Jeff horsewhipped Charles Bankhead uh, in the street, or Bankhead rushed him. Jeff defended himself with his horsewhip, fell off his horse, and then is actually stabbed quite badly by Charles Bankhead in the streets of Charlottesville, witnessed by a large number of people. Charles Bankhead's letter that he writes to Thomas Jefferson, trying to get some sympathy in this situation, which is also sort of classic abusive manipulation. He's the victim in the situation. He was just walking through the street, then all of a sudden, Thomas Jefferson Randolph comes out of nowhere, horsewhips him, and he just absolutely has to, to defend his honor, defend himself in some way, and that's why he stabbed him. But actually, another interesting note, the person who talks about this as a domestic violence situation more than just an alcohol situation is, again, Thomas Jefferson, because his concern with Jeff attacking him in the street is that Bankhead is going to take it out on Anne. And he actually won't let any female member of his household leave Monticello for a couple weeks after this happens because he's concerned that there's going to be retaliation. That's the only time where there's actually a little bit of gossip in the other letters about why does she stay, which is something that you see a lot to this very day with domestic violence situations. We actually did find Anne Carrie Bankhead's journal. She actually writes on the very first page, as I may not live to see my children grown, actually, which is a slightly worrisome first line, that she wants to leave quotations um, for her children that they can learn from her life and they can learn to grow spiritually. A lot of women's diaries and journals at this time, sometimes they really are intended to be published. Anne doesn't seem to be thinking of it as being published, but definitely seeing it as a family document to be passed down. I just keep thinking tabloids. Like, can you imagine? seeing this on the front pages of magazines or newspapers today, I guess right. is what I'm thinking. Right. And I mean, you can understand if you think about it that way, because certainly Jefferson was the object of gossip. Right. You can imagine why you would want to keep this hush-hush within the family, and yet at the same time, hiding all this stuff, that can't be good either. Just this event, horse whipping and stabbing in the streets. Yeah, that's... That's bad. That's going to get out. That's bad. That's going to get out. But I just think about it in terms of like, oh, we don't, you know, there's the shame or this kind of, we we don't want this gossipy stuff to get out there. And we have to protect Anne. And we have to protect Anne. Yes. Yeah. But does keeping all these type of things under wraps, you know, how is that part of the problem in the first place? You see what I'm saying? Right. Another element to this is that throughout this entire um, marriage, um, and Carrie, very much like her mother, is consistently pregnant. Um, Martha Jefferson Randolph has 13 pregnancies and 11 children that survive to adulthood. Uh, we know from Anne Carrie's diary, and this is sort of new information, she also has 11 pregnancies and only four children survive. Her diary is full of terrible lines like, 
February 17, 1821, a day to be ever remembered to me with joy and gratitude for the Lord spared my life and delivered me safe of a dead infant. So she uh, basically deals with the sort of constant tragedy of her life, and particularly the losing of all of these children, by sort of retreating more and more and more into religion. religion. All of this is happening for a reason. I will be spared someday. The Lord doesn't make mistakes. I must have deserved this suffering in some way. If you read her letters, she really doesn't talk much about her husband really at all. It's more about sort of her own internal struggle during this and how she's just going to ha try to survive this suffering. Sort this of. is my lot in life and that's my, my job life. is to endure it. Absolutely. For a woman in this time period, that is just one of the concerns about marriage. It's if you are stuck in this situation, you are really stuck. And even sort of Jefferson and uh, her family considered that to be the sort of tragic situation. They didn't see it as something that she could escape from. It was more just a tragedy. Now later, some of uh, Martha Jefferson Randolph's younger children want to get married quite young again at like 17, and Martha actually says no to a couple of them, <laughs> just waited out a little bit. Sad that there's no help for Charles. Right. There's no help for Charles, and there's very little help for Anne. Yes. It's a hope. sounds like a, we're headed towards a hopeless situation. Yeah. The granddaughter that we know the most about probably is Ellen. She writes a lot. She's a very good writer. Um, there's a great line she writes just writing to a friend um, about this whole situation. Because she's, she's furious at Bankhead. Like, some people will try to say something like, oh, he's trying to get things together. but She's um, like, nah, I don't trust this guy. <laughs> absolutely not. There's a situation where one of her other sister, little sisters, Mary, like they meet him in public and he's on a drunken fit. And he goes to shake their hands and Mary won't shake his hand. She writes that the only thing in their family history that the word tragic might well be applied was the Anne Carey Bankhead marriage. She writes that he was a worthless, furious, malignant drunkard um, and did all the mischief such a character was sure to do. My sister was a victim, my mother rendered wretched, and many hours of my grandfather's declining life were grievously embittered. Oh, that's heartbreaking and horrifying. Yeah, the first line. I mean, she sees her impending doom. She dies young. She dies at 35 years old. It's 1826 too, which is the same year that Thomas Jefferson dies, but she dies earlier in the year in February. Shortly after her death, there's four children that are left. The Jefferson family gossip that he marries someone just absolutely terrible who hates the children. Apparently, uh, according to Martha Jefferson Randolph, Jefferson's daughter, Charles wasn't as bad of a father as he was a husband. They had basically cut Charles Bankhead out of their life for a long time. She says, the natural consequence of our having the children was a reconciliation with the father, and I must do him the justice to say that his conduct, as far as it has come under my observation since our renewed intercourse, has been unexceptionable. Um, so there's sort of this optimism that maybe he'll get things together. But he dies in 1833. The description of it is that he had been drunk for some days and was very ill. He uh, ended up dying of an apoplectic fit at six o'clock in the morning after another sort of drunken binge. So it seems like he just continued to drink for the rest of his life. There's like a game of chance aspect to this. You know, you brought up the 14 to 1, you might right. get a blockhead. Right. And that's like, how young do you marry? It's like all probability. Options? You have to wonder also, I mean, how how big is the field? How that right. would probably depend on your education and social mobility and, and economic class and everything as well. Right, because the longer you wait, then maybe the fewer options you have. She used the word trapped, I think. Well, you're right, trapped either way, Depending, but yeah. if you marry young, maybe you, I don't know, I, I just imagine people making these matches and right. all the things that tell you it's a good match. You can perceive safety and financial security. How do you know about the character of the person that you're marrying? 
more time would be more evidence about their character. That's true. But right. then the longer you wait, you know, there are these other factors right. that you're talking about, financial security and whatnot. So there's just this kind of roulette wheel kind of feel about it in a certain way. Which there is. I don't know if that's still true today or not, but, you know, it's, it's not a romantic way to think about it, but it's, um, it seems to be there. And that, my friends, is not a happy ending to the story. There was some family drama. Yeah, so it just goes to show you, you know, it wasn't all sweetness and light there. Uh, in the course of human events. In the course of human events, these kinds of things will happen. But thanks for joining us uh, today for this story. I'm Tom Vandervoort. And I'm Jacqueline Langholk. And I'm going to go write some thank you letters to AA and uh, learn more about the prohibition movement and write some thank you letters to a few other organizations. Thank you for listening today. We'll see you next time. <laughs>